You're listening to You Don't Know Nick, the podcast, a podcast that explores the generational differences from Zoomers to Boomers as it relates to what's going on today. Enjoy. Hey there, Nichols. It's Jessica. And if you know anything about me, you know that I really, really like to eat food. Sometimes I don't have enough time to cook food for myself. Sometimes I forget to eat, so I have to order something last minute. But I'm here to tell you that I am now using HelloFresh and I couldn't be happier about it because all I have to do is just select a couple meals for the week. They come directly to my door. They're easy to make. They accommodate my diet and it's really inexpensive. I can't recommend HelloFresh more to people who are looking for new things to cook in the kitchen, looking to save time on food prep, uh, are indecisive about what to eat in the first place, and really just looking for something that might be just a little bit easier than your current routine is. You can accommodate just yourself, a family, however you want to go. And now if you use my code P-O-G-S-E-2009, you got to jump on it. It's only available for the month of March. You get up to 16 free meals plus three surprise gifts across your six HelloFresh boxes, plus free shipping on your first box. So you can go to strms.net forward slash HelloFresh underscore Jessica Nerdy, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-E-R-D-Y. If that's too many things for you to remember, there will be a link in our liner notes for this week's episode. Again, it's going to be strms.net forward slash HelloFresh underscore Jessica Nerdy with the code P-O-G-S-E-2009. And you're going to get yourself some fresh eats. Hi, Nick. Hi, Jess. I know. It's bad. Bad lighting where I'm at. Bad, well, no, I can I can see your facial expressions. Our audience can't, but I can. Yeah, I'll do this for you. No, no, the hat looks cool. You look like. Well, all right, that that's cool too. Actually, is it? I don't know. It didn't that's actually a good change. Hat. It didn't actually change the lighting. No, but it is a good hat. What is the hat? Oh, this was uh, Outer Banks. Yeah, but it looks like it just looks like classic sports or something. Well, it's kind of got that classic. Oh, North like, well, Carolina. Yeah, you know Outer Banks, North Carolina. No? I don't know Outer Banks, North Carolina. There's a whole TV show about it. Outer there Banks. There is. It's called Outer Banks. It's on Netflix. Is that why you have it? Because your wife worked on it? No, no. Because okay. uh, I went my I uh, it's like it's a it's like a stri- an island strip just off the coast of uh, North Carolina that's like you know vacation spot lots oh. you know lots of people own like big rental houses and they rent it out throughout the year and then they stay there sometimes and we had we have some family friends that have had a house there since i was uh, a toddler oh my and we, gosh and we used to go back in the day when i was young and it's been a long it was a long time before we went and then a couple of years ago uh they had some availability and we just my whole family took it for a, a week sounds like the Tell me if I'm right. It's like the upper, upper, upper class Myrtle Beach. Yeah, was well, Myrtle Beach? I don't know. Is Myrtle Beach? I not... think Myrtle Beach is like. Mar, mar, mar. <laughs> well, it's definitely. I'm sure there's better parts of Myrtle Beach too, but I haven't been there either. But so this is all hearsay. There's definitely a lot of money in the Outer Banks, and the TV show is kind of loosely based on like you and your family going there as kids. <laughs> based on the you know like 
locals who live there who it's in the you know who don't have that type of money but you know work the the sort of jobs that service oh yeah that's interesting so i had the pleasure of working in an affluent city for a couple of years as a waitress and it was the first time i had experienced the great expedition or the emigration of um of the affluent going to the the new york like basically going to long beach island and the you know the hamptons or whatever like they would leave la which i thought was so strange for the summer and we would be like a ghost town because no one was there yeah wait where was this so the, I, I i worked in basically brentwood like oh. brentwood palisades adjacent so at any given time jennifer gardner is there i have great stories about chasing down carrie ann moss about not paying a bill which she did pay um, that I just misunderstood that she didn't pay it. Um, it was not my finest moment. Uh, regular Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, nice guy. Nice guy. Uh, just basically every, <laughs> everyone you could imagine under the sun, you know, and a TMZ person walking through every now and then, here's my car, give me a call if blah, blah, blah shows up. And, <laughs> and then, you know, yeah, you have the upper echelon of, like, movie stars, but then you also have, like, the people that are very rich there that maybe aren't famous, but like the wives all, all they get to do is have Pilates, do Pilates and, you know, eat half, eat, you know, eat half of their sandwich or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I sound super judgmental. This is the truth of what we experienced. And they were fine people. There was, they were not bad people. This is just very quintessential. The experience. Look, some people have a lot of money. And that's yes. just what it is. They just and this have a is lot how they ate. <laughs> that's all mm-hmm. I'm saying. They ate. And, it, like and apparently they left gorgeous Southern California in the summer to go east. I did I, not know. Which I, I didn't know this. I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, obviously there's some people that didn't. But I, well, have you I ever, wonder... have you ever been on, Have you been on Long Island or the Hamptons? So I've been on Long Beach Island, but not the Hamptons. Um, and Long Beach Island was similar, right? Like um, the, the New Jersey folk rented a house my friend's family rented a house and you know basically two families under one roof or whatever and hit the hit the beach mm. and it was it was awesome the beach was i i was talking about this with a friend recently i did not expect the atlantic to be warmer than our ocean oh yeah the water was smoother and the sand was nicer and the and the and the I don't know if you're hearing that sound. It's my cat. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know if you could hear it or not. I took I took the collar off of her so that we didn't hear the ding 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 the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it would have given better context to what's happening. She's she's been in front of my computer for the last two days. She just wants attention, and now she wants water. So anyway, I don't love the beach, and I don't love the ocean. But like, if I get in the ocean here in LA or Zuma or whatever. I'll acclimate and I'm fine. And then I'm body surfing within 10 minutes, but it's cold and it's grody, you know, and the Atlantic Ocean was a, was a pleasure. Yeah. It's warmer out there. It blew me away. I mean, that's, you know, that's Outer Banks right there in the Atlantic warm ocean. It's beautiful. What was the best summer vacation? If there was like a year where your movie would be made, like your life would be made a movie because you had this vacation, like a coming of age. Did you have like a coming of age vacation that you and your family went on? Oh, um, 
I don't think so. You know, you know, what kind of came to mind was actually not a vacation. You know, when you said like, what's the summer? The summer, it was either, oh, there was two summers. So there was either the summer right before I went off to college, which was also very similar to the summer I went home after my first year of college. Mm. Um, but uh, let's say the summer, I, I, maybe the summer before I went off to college. That's, I think that was the one. Where my parents were out of town, they were on vacation, maybe more than they were in town. And uh, and you weren't going with them? No. Wow. I, I forget why. I think my dad had a new job. I, th- I can't remember why. I don't know if and it was. And you were the baby. I was the baby, so there was no other, all my siblings weren't in the house. I was by myself. But you could be, because you're 18. You're like, you're a big boy now. I'm a big boy. And (laughs) uh, we, I just, I mean, I just, I just partied a lot at the house. Just. So no one had to go to Juarez? No, we still did, because that was just, (laughs) that's just the thing. Uh, We never talked about our losing virginity our virginity stories and i know that like i think you needed to clear it with your wife to see if it like comfortable or like she doesn't even know it i don't even know if i've ever talked to my wife about that so that's what i'm saying vice versa yeah yeah i think there was like a moment where like maybe we'll just see if that's the right fit but but without saying too much were you having sex by that point i'll tell you this oh i could have been ah but i because of my religious upbringings chose not to oh what a fool i was um it wasn't until college that i was like oh man fuck this yeah totally totally (laughs) yeah something clicks over eventually um were your brothers like i'm religious i can't marcy sorry do you know if they were like that i know that they're listening right now so yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to have him on and ask. I would love I, this. I would love a, a coming of age story with the masua Um <laughs> I know it's not how you say it. I just love it. So, <laughs> so what would you say was what pivotally changed for you in that era? Just like becoming your own person, or you know, I don't know if I can actually mark a an emotional change. I just was marking what what summer do I remember having the most fun in? Sure. Um. Yeah, you know, if we were, this is gonna. I don't know if this is exactly what you're looking for, but well, I mean, there is there is a moment in my life where I had a a, a you know. Uh, an experience that w- what I could actually mark as a pivotal change in my life. So we do know the Capuera story. Oh, oh, yeah. This is not that great. Well, this is this is the this is the flip side of that. This is the good version of that. Okay, story. great. Um, that was the story. Yeah. I want to know if you want to share it. This was uh, this was more a story around like um, accessing a part of spiritual self. Um, that is very hard to access. Uh, I was, uh, I went to a, uh, what they call a voice intensive. Oh yeah. You've told the story on the podcast before. Oh, well then there you go. It's done. Go back to listen to old podcasts. Yeah. I won't even tell them what it's about, but it, but it was a good, it was, it was, I think about that moment that you shared that like you had that basically not, what is it? What did you call it? It's not transcendent, but it's a. 
Yeah, it's, it's a bit a, of transcendent. A lent, um, enlightenment moment, or do you think you used a word that... Oh, I used, I used a, a moment of Satori. There it is. is kind of, there it is. Yeah. Um, I, it was the first time I was introduced to that. So I don't know that I've had that in my life. I have moments where I feel like I'm floating, but that's not because like anything's particularly happening. I, I equate that to the cloud nine feeling. Like it must feel like on cloud nine when your whole body feels disembodied, but it's not necessarily born of a good... Um, emotion so i don't know that i have pivotal jessica era uh you know summer story or or high school story because like everything folded into i feel like if you were to watch ladybird minus her losing her virginity that was a very similar situation like her middle school life her high school life was similar to my middle school life but it's because it takes place in the same era she's fighting with her mom the whole time it's the same fucking thing but a friend of mine is in the picture biz and I went to go visit him on set and he walked me around the Warner Brothers lot and at the end of it of like hanging out with him he's like he's a family friend or like my he was my brother's best friend in middle school and like maybe high school and they've had maybe two or three falling outs since they've been friends like this kid they, they're, they're the most catty relationship that isn't a girlfriend relationship that I've ever seen so this kid, he tells me, the guy, now that he's an adult, he says, I have this idea for a movie. And actually, it's based off of one summer that I spent at your house. Oh. I know. So what I remember before I will say what he pitched it lightly as is that he was a piece of shit. He treated <laughs> me so badly. And I was the eldest. And my brother was right beneath me. And I was already, it's happening again. She's just, I think she's really itchy. Oh, you know what it must be? It's getting warm. Uh, she mm. must take her off. But she runs the show. Um, I didn't notice that last one until you said something. Okay, great. I just don't want to talk over it. People are like, what the fuck? So long story even longer. He's a piece of shit. He treats me like shit. I didn't understand and maybe still don't believe this, but he probably had a crush on me. Mm. And I didn't think about it that way. I'm just like fucking this piece of shit, you know, <laughs> like we would go to the bowling alley and he'd be like, where are we going next? And then we'd go get ice cream. What are we doing next? Uh, whatever. <laughs> Just like never satisfied. But our families, we knew each other because of baseball. My brother was in baseball with him and he was not as good at an athlete as my brother was. And so my father was always quick to remind this kid about that. And that like when this kid would like get bitchy or my brother would have a problem with him, my dad would be like, yeah, he's super jealous of you. I don't know. They, but my brother and him connected. And, and, and at the time, too, I think my, I think one or two of my uncles from New Jersey were living with us as well. So my dad was coaching and the two uncles were coaching the baseball team that Joe and this kid were on, my, Joe being my brother. And he goes, yeah, it's going to be an exploration in to toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> and what it is to be a man. Like basically how my dad and his brother screwed him up. To about what manhood should be. Oh wow, it's interesting. Oh, did he? It was there any? Did there any particular stories or, or moments that uh... that come to mind? He didn't share. 
well, not come to mind, but he didn't share anything like, oh, I remember when this happened. Because I, I don't know what his singular experience was, but he did mention that I was a character. So that makes me think, too, as like the hot older sister and that's probably also a fucking bitch in it, too, or something. <laughs> or that he's like, I bet you there's a scene where he's like peeking to see if I'm taking a shower. Like, we would just go swimming all the time. I don't know. Um, he More power to him. Let's put it that way. Good luck. He's had a couple films made. A friend of ours is actually in one of his films. Um, and it's, like, just weird that they that, that happened. Um, but I don't think he's had one, a script that's his. He's just been produ- in production up to this point. So we'll see. It, I do agree, though. And this is interesting. We could, we could piggyback uh, onto this topic based off of what you're going through right now. We are... Toxic masculinity is an issue, and how we raised a lot of our boys does lend itself toward um, a stunting of emotional growth in men, and you're about to have a boy. Mm -hmm. So this is our final episode with you until season two when you're back in from paternity leave. So what do you want to know? You want to know how I feel about that or or what my approach is to, to... Well... Not necessarily. Again, I don't want to like, here's, I'm just formulating the connections as we go. I know you to be thoughtful, emotional, but also masculine and, you know, like funny and witty. Like you, I think you've got your, as people put it, divine feminine and divine masculine kind of in balance. I definitely have an awareness of them. They, they go in and out of balance, I would say. (laughs) I think that's also normal, right? Wouldn't you say? Like that, I think, how can you maintain that at full blast? And also you have a partner that also demand, like that also will change your need for one of one or the other. But we are, we have raised boys to not be emotional and then there's a lot of detriment that can happen. So are you acutely aware of that? Are you just going to do like I don't know. Are you concerned? Or well, you I you know I, I I continue to try to like maintain the mantra of you know it's, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It's it's how you process it that that's important. So I I think I I want to I you know even with my daughter I just want to approach all things in terms of the how and not the what. Like don't focus. Try not to focus on the what too much, but to focus mm. on the how. Um, because if you try to control the what, you're really trying to control cir- circumstances that are outside of your control, and it, be- it can become very frustrating. Um, but you know, things are going to happen, mistakes are going to be made, or bad choices, good choices, whatever, are going to happen. But can can you provide your kids with the ability to process and and um, understand what's happening, why these things happened, and and, and whatnot? So I think there's a I think there's a lot of that that's going to feed into you know I mean it already is how I approach Clementine so the same same with same with the boy um, at the same time I don't know this will be interesting where you know I I have three older brothers uh, so I was raised around a lot of men but even in that environment nobody ever talked about what it means to be a man. Like you're just basically kind of left to figure it out for yourself. Right? So how do you figure it out? You, you know, you look at the role models you have in your life. You look at television that you, you know, stories you see on TV or movies or, or whatever you read. 
uh, or your friends or your peers and you assemble it yourself. Um, and I think 100% I did not get a, a, uh, uh, a perspective on masculinity that was helpful, you know? Yeah. Interesting. And, you know, it took my me seeking it out and trying to understand it throughout my life and hitting roadblocks and doing stupid shit and uh, whatever else, seeing how my behavior affected other people and having that awareness to, to sort of come to terms with, you know, what is, what is my, my relationship to masculinity. Um, so I think at the very least, you know, I'd like to have just a dialogue about those types of things. Um, I don't know what that exactly I would say, but I don't think it's about like some message I'm trying to get across. But I think part of what, part of understanding masculinity is like there is no pre prescript definition. There is no guideline for it. It's all about the individual and um, what makes them who they are. And so again, it's, it's the how, it's not the what. You know, who knows what my son's going to be like. He could be uber-masculine or he could be uber-feminine. Um, and if I try to define that for him, I think he's going to have difficult time. Right. You know, but right. if I try to create a create the space for for him to have genuine experiences that he can learn from um, and have a dialogue... Um, where we do talk about, hey, you know, what it, you know, what it means to be a man. But, you know, all, but all that stuff is, all that stuff is up in the air now, right? It, it, it's, it's doubly challenging, I think, because you're totally right. Um, a, a, having expectations about a child that's not even here yet is unfair, let alone expectations of anyone at any point, unless it's explicitly said, I want to do this. But then B, like, yeah, sure, they may be assigned male, right, as a sex, but, but, but like, let's even stepping away from gender or sex, um, there are inherent uh, nature-born traits in kids, like, right, like the attached or uh, like the, the, um, the, like the kid that wants to be next to the mom, the kid that doesn't want to be next to the mom, the kid that walks away from the mom and comes back, you know, there's like definable traits that they see in toddlers early on. Um, like, like I'm sure, hmm, I think I would have been more introverted if my father allowed me to be. Mm. Would have been less assertive if he didn't make me go tell the guy at McDonald's that he served me a Diet Coke instead of a Coke when I was nerve-wracked to do that. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I'm grateful for his pushing past the diagnosis of anxiety or something like that. Like, my sister had a lazy eye. And they're like, well, we're going to put her in glasses and, you know, it'll resolve itself. It might not. My dad was like, fuck that. We're going to put an eye patch on her. She's going to strengthen her eye. And that's that. Now, my dad is not a medical professional. I wouldn't give this advice to anybody. But my sister's eye strengthened. And it only goes lazy every now and then when... She's tired. <laughs> and she she had like problem after problem after problem. Like as a kid, just, you know, her arm fell out of her socket. She, she rotted her teeth from um, su sucking on a bottle for too long, you know, and she's a little chunky. So the ideal daughter that my father would have preferred to have 
didn't exist in her. It existed in me. But she got a lot of pressure just for who she was. Um, and now she's real sassy and won't take shit from anybody and fucking hates dad and, you know, married a man who's completely opposite. Um, and that's, I get, uh, it's a really long way to, to get from nature versus nurture. It's interesting, right? I don't begrudge being pushed to be more outspoken or speak up for myself. I think I may have gotten there one way or another. I just got there that way. Um, and I would say I probably have more masculinity than I do have femininity in me. But I like the femininity in me as well, you know. And, but 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 you're so right in what you're saying. There's no determining, no predetermining exactly how you're going to approach every situation. You have no idea what's going to happen. And you have no idea how that little person's going to react. With Clementine, and you know, I've known this about myself, and so I don't know if this is just a trait that she's picked up in me or if this is just all humans, but like... You tell her something, and she's just like, shut the fuck up. She doesn't say that. But you know what I mean? But it's just like, don't tell me that. Like, she doesn't want me to tell her, uh, like, how to live life or whatnot. But in another moment with somebody else, she will do it. She'll, she'll basically either, either, you know, say what I said as if it was her idea, or she will incorporated into her behavior so it's just you know it's i mean it's it's just one of those things that like you just got to trust that you know what you're trying to impart or or the the sort of experiences or you're trying to shape are seeping in and that usually and that usually kids are going to be resistant to their parents and if you think that's it and if you fight that resistance that's when it gets tricky nothing made me sicker to my stomach more than when like I finally did a chore and my mom was like, well, look who's doing the laundry. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus, Patty, leave me. I'm done now. I would like, I would drop the laundry basket and fucking walk out. But, but that, but that was independent. Jessica trying to be independent and make the choice of my own volition. So it does sound like that's what Clem's trying to do, but also kids are little scientists. She's trying to figure out, well, maybe if I do try that, do I get what I want? If I do it this way, you know. Oh, the, yeah. Well, yeah. All that's going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's a genius. E- even like, I mean, I, I want to say, let's say like eight months ago. And, you know, she's only a little over three years old. Um, there'd be like, you know, here's, a, here's one example, which is like, we let her watch a little bit of TV. And when it's time to turn the TV off, it's time to turn the TV off. Right. And that's always a struggle. But she got to the point where she knew how to turn the TV off. She knew how to stop it. And she turned it off by herself. And she saw me about to say something like, hey, thank you for turning the TV off when you were supposed to. And she goes and she just basically goes, nope, don't say anything. I was like, holy shit. Already at this age, you don't want me to to like be that overbearing parent who's like, good job for doing the thing that, you know, you're supposed to do. She just wanted to do it and have it be the thing that she's supposed to do and not have me or her mom comment on it. And there's other examples of, of it, like picking up her room or whatever, you know, whatever it may be that she knows she's supposed to do. Um, and she doesn't want us to comment on it. So it's, this is ingrained. This must be human behavior. That's a human nature behavior. It has to be because I relate to that feeling so much. 
it it hurts like and and it's making me think does it have its roots in like love language because I don't love when someone's like Jessica you were really good at that or I really like you Jessica nobody likes that because you're just you feel like you're being uh patronized exactly but also some people do like that and maybe you don't like it and maybe you pass that trait on to Clint by example or like you know what I mean well, I know for myself, and I'm assuming for Clementine, I think this is somewhat universal. You want to take ownership over whatever you choose to do. So you don't want some, like me then coming in as a parent and being like, good doing the thing I told you you're supposed to do. That means they don't have ownership over their actions. Right, 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 right. right. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and learning how to feel proud for yourself is an important tool, too. Um, mm-hmm. Like knowing that more importantly than you, your parents being proud of you, whether they showed you enough pride or appreciation, it's more important that you feel that. That was a hard fought lesson for me. Um, God, I, I just, I would take back all the times that I was a cunt to my mom and I'm like, shut up, I'm clean it. You know, she would like walk it. This is like, like adjacent to this feeling. But I would, like, be playing my music, and I was trying to write a song, and it was, like, really sad. Like, Jessica's really sad, and, like, recording it. And I don't know, I can't even sing. I'm trying to find the note. And, like, I'm a good singer. I'm a good songwriter. But, like, when I'm in the songwriting mode, it's imperfect, and it's raw, and it's vulnerable. And she'd walk into the room that I was, like, writing and, like, try to listen or just, like, pretend like she wasn't in there to do laundry, even though she fucking knew I was busy. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple, multiple recordings. I think they don't exist anymore. Get the fuck out of my room! <laughs> like, <laughs> just <laughs> so upset about the vulnerability of it all, which I think we can talk about on the other side of our little commercial break because vulnerability is a big hot button topic for me right now and yes i know this is a podcast where we talk about the generations but nick masu is literally giving birth to the new generation right now so i think that covers the topic pretty well today don't you think yeah this is living we're living the generational divide right now we're living the truth of our podcast good try that try doing that yeah put that on put the good luck (laughs) see you on the other side of this break Hello, listeners. It's your new friend, Philip Matas, here to advertise in your ears. If you're looking for a good read, I would highly recommend a book that I wrote. It's called The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel Air, and it's a funny and exciting mystery, which is the first in my Psychic Barber Mysteries series. It is the story of Danica Lumen, a struggling hairstylist who also has secret psychic abilities, Normally, she touches the heads of her customers to see just what type of styles they want, but things go sideways in her life when she touches the head of a new customer and sees a dead body. The murderous haircut of the mayor of Bel Air has collected tons of five- and four-star reviews, and it would like to collect one from you as well. So just search for Murderous Haircut Philip to find my homepage and learn where best to buy your copy of your next favorite book, the murderous haircut of the mayor of Bel Air. And now, 
back to the show. While you're on paternity leave, like, can I even text you? (laughs) I'm like afraid, like, in seven months when you're ready. So Ian, our amazing guest last week, was so, like, he just, uh, the episode turned out so well. I was so happy. It was so nice to get to meet. It, It confirmed what I thought, that, like, not only are you and I, like, good like good friends we're gonna be good friends when you can get along with your other people when with their other people's friends it's like yeah that's that makes sense and and ian and i think you said it but like we hit it off really well so he's like we're gonna all get a beer or i think i even said it, like we'll all get a beer in seven months he goes what's this seven months shit and i was like <laughs> you, you guys have children coming and so i'm not trying to put like i would do it tomorrow but i can't. the problem is is i have to temper my expectations for when I will see you again. But will you forget me while you're gone? No, no. How could I ever forget you, Jess? If uh, you stop talking to me to me today, pretend I'm not here. What would you say if you like down the road and go, oh yeah, that Jessica girl. What would you like? What would your first thought be? <laughs> oh, weren't we doing a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and your son's like, Dad, what's a podcast? <laughs> Podcast is so like 2020. Uh, um, no, look, it's it's not like you fall into a hole when you I have know, a child. It's I just know. you know carving out time to uh, to do a podcast or whatever else you may have on your on your plate. Um, you know you got to you got to get through the first couple months uh, and find your find your flow and find your routine, but. Let it be known that I preemptively said I'm putting you on paternity leave. I did not anticipate you trying to figure, trying to make you figure out how to make this podcast work, by the way. Oh, I literally gave you three months at the very least. But, you know, when I, when we had Clementine, it's not like my life stops, you know. Uh, I didn't even know you had a kid. I was, I was out of the loop of improv by the time Y'all got pregnant and then had a baby, but then the next thing I know, Nick had a baby. Who? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I remember I was still, there's, you know, several projects I was working on and it was just Mm. all about trying to find time to focus on those things. It's just, what what it is, is it's hard to, uh, it's hard to like have a consistent time in the schedule. At least, at least if you're the primary caregiver, which I was, and right. and now and now that we're having two kids, you know, even it's when, all hands on deck. Yeah, yeah. Even when Sandra's not working and whatever, and I'm I'm at home, it's it's still going to be still going to be a handful, uh, especially at first. And once you you know, once you start figuring things out, it goes better. Um, but yeah, it's just easier. You know, you only get one shot at this sort of thing. So you want to you want to try to give put your best foot forward and, uh, and focus That's as funny. much on the bonding early on. Oh, I guess that is pivotal. Huh? I didn't yeah. think of it as bonding. I just thought about I thought it as like this thing needs to be fed. <laughs> like no, that's no. what it demands. 
No, it's all bonding. And, you know, this is the, you know, I saw this tweet the other day. This is, this kind of goes to what we're talking about, where somebody was like, I can't remember who the person was, but it was like, hey, it's want to let everybody know uh, about to have a baby and I'm taking five months off for, you know, because I really want to focus on this. And like, I looked at some of the comments and one of the comments was like, dude, so unnecessary. That kid's not even going to need you until they're much older. And it's a, and I, and it's a total, it's a total thing that dads are told. It's a total male thing. It's like the, the baby, when they're first born, it's all about the mother. It's not until they get older when they can talk more and relate more that the dad starts to step in and become more important. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. And, but it is a very cultural thing. It's like, I've, I heard it when we gave birth, like, it's just a thing. It's like, Hey, don't, don't worry. Don't, don't worry when all the baby wants is mama and you're feeling left on the side and you don't know what to do. It's like, well, that wasn't my experience. My oh. experience was the, you know, not complete opposite because baby also did want mama, but because your I, breasts didn't have milk. Yeah. But <laughs> we had so much bonding that most of the time she would still reach for me. Wow. Um, I want it to be different this time around so that, you know, um, and I think it usually, and, the, and the, you know, girls, you know, gravitate towards their fathers and boys navigate towards their mothers. So it's kind of somewhat of a natural thing that it'll be different. But you can't take, you can't take for granted that early bonding experience. It just totally imprints on them. It's not to say that you can't bond later and you can't change the course. It's constantly moving. It's always very fluid. But, but to think that to think that a father doesn't play a role in bonding in the early stages is just, it's part of what's part of what's the problem with current society's idea of masculinity. And right? it's getting reshaped, but but it's usually by people who are bucking. You know what I think is fa fascinating is you know I could complain and I'm not complaining, but it could sound like I'm complaining. We're like all this toxic masculinity, and we're not raising our boys to be feelers. Uh, and and what have you, I, I really do, on the other hand, see that our parents tried their best to do better than their parents did. Yeah, and 100%. Our parents, you know, that's why they make fun of millennials for having, you know, the participation awards or whatever, because they were trying to go, well, maybe if we just encourage them full full bore, they'll feel great. And then here comes this sense of entitlement that other people think we have or what have you, right? Um, that's a painting with a broad stroke. But now that we're learning that maybe that doesn't work, that's going to inform how you raise your kids and there's going to be something about that that doesn't work or does work or whatever. But yes, there's still old like vestigial ideas of what the mom does, what the dad does. And I yeah. think that's just... If that's what's happening in a relationship, then you have two people that probably aren't ready to have a baby, let alone be in that relationship, probably, in a healthy relationship to some extent. Well, yeah, well a lot of times it, it, it is circumstantial. There's not a lot of, you know, fathers who who have the luxury that I did to, to be at home. That's fair. You know, and especially if you look at older generations where where the the man was expected to be the primary you know breadwinner they got to go to work so yeah it, i mean it's, not, it's understandable that that's 
that that was a mindset that people had of like, well, of course, well, the, the dad's working. Don't worry about, you know, bonding with the child. You, you know, you'll get your time later. They want the mama anyway. Um, partly it's because the dad is not around half the time, you know? Yeah, it's so right. Totally. And then when they come home, they're like, uh, what do I do with this baby? Uh, here, give it back to you. Uh, the baby's not talking to me. It's not moving. It's not doing anything. Uh, but when you do spend a lot of time with the baby, you realize it is talking to you. It is communicating in a very, just in a very more subtle, different way. Um, so, you know, it's plus and minus, you know, being an actor or living a life of freelance where you don't know when the money's coming next. Um, but you do have the ability to, to be at home more, you know, spend more, get that, get that early bonding time. It's huge. That's exciting. Lots of skin to skin. You know I mean? Right, right. Bare chest to hair chest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Daddy, what is on your chest? <laughs> that is so funny. Give, uh, them to, give them something to hold on to. They grab well, it. now you'll know the female experience of like our hair getting tugged on by the baby. Mm. Like there's a woman that I know that one of her kids – that's my age, but the, you know, we knew the mom pulled her earrings and I don't know why she didn't stop the child, but had like long oh, ears no. because the babies pulled on them. No. Or maybe that's just what my mom said happened. Who the fuck knows? Like there's things that I still like sort through in my brain. Like I'm like, my dad was lying about that. And he was joking, like <laughs> things that I thought for sure were true because he was just gonna, wants me to shut the fuck up or whatever and answers the dumb question. And I I definitely believed them. My, my penchant was believing my parents. Maybe not my mom. I thought my mom was dumb. <laughs> I was certain that I, I was better educated and more emotionally intelligent than my mother, which is not true. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I've been I've been working pretty hard in therapy lately to really deal with people call it ancestral trauma, um, but like the patterns transferred from one mother to another, and tra you know all sorts of stuff. And so we're doing like, have you ever heard of EMDR? Yes. Was it stand for again? I don't know. Electronic. Is it electronic? Is it? Yeah, no. something like that. So essentially it's like activating left, right brain individually. So like there might be clicks on either side of your ears or I have to like follow a ball across the screen and mm. then she might speed it up depending on if I'm crying more. I don't know how it works. Obviously they're better trained. Or you might have buzzies in your hands or lights or whatever. Um, but the theory being is we're processing a particular event that she deems disturbing or emotional and then just like gutting it out in that moment like think about that moment think about what then now what do you get from it okay focus on that focus on that um and i've done this process a few times before and i'm doing it with a new therapist now and it is really very helpful because it does it's almost like it's almost like taking out the infection so that the wound can heal in like one fell swoop kind mm. of or maybe it helps for reframing, like 
we re- I was able to reframe a story that happened between my mother and I when it felt when it was like the only time it felt like my mom and I had actually bonded, but I didn't realize it had actually made me feel bitter about that. Not like I used to be like, oh, it's so nice we had this moment, but never again. But like I resented her for that and didn't realize. But I know it's I, I'm just sharing all. I'd like you said to Ian, this is we're just processing Jessica's trauma. Um, <laughs> no, I don't the, think those are the exact words I said. I mean, it's not not that so. But like vulnerability, I realize is is harder for me than than I gave myself credit for, um, which is interesting because our line of work asks for a certain level of vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I th- I think there's a difference between vulnerability in life and vulnerability within a given certain with a given parameters, which which is what we're asked to do as actors. Sure. But, uh, but yes, the more accessible you have to vulnerability in life, the easier it is to access vulnerability as an actor. I guess that's what I mean is I did not think that I was afraid of it in interpersonal relationships. But the more I am examining it, I'm like, ah, I push people away. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it's our natural sort of protective state, right? I mean, it's, it's our mind, our psyche trying to keep us safe. Right. Totally. You know, um, there was, I think it's, this is a Carl Jung metaphor, um, or at least I got it from somebody who was a Jungian uh, psychotherapist, um, but that like within us all is basically this, this ball of light. And uh, we put up these, these shields, these walls to protect it when, when we are fired upon from the outside. So basically that there's walls and cannons within all of us. So oh. we're firing off and we're being fired upon and we put up these walls to protect us. But what we forget is to take down the wall. So you hit ourselves with the cannon. Oh. <laughs> sure. Sure, I like that. That's not where I was going, but yes. But right, yes. kind of. <laughs> It speaks to like that definitely could happen. (laughs) (laughs) You only hurt yourself. (laughs) You extended the metaphor. No, that's not what I was going at. But yes, yes, that is so true. Uh, No, just more that like if you don't take the wall, the wall gets bigger and thicker and thicker. Um, And so that, you know, part of Jungian therapy is, you know, to go in there, identify the wall and learn how to take take them down Mm. when you don't you know, it served you in that initial moment when you needed right. that protection, but now you can now you can put it down. Huh. Um, Maybe that's a good step for me next is to like once we've processed all this like major trauma, um, <laughs> to like learn about the walls and what have you. Um, and I've said this to you before, and it's really what's interesting is I don't think my dad meant to be unconditional, but he just was doing the best he could. You know, and he and he had his own versions of walls and fears and stuff that made it hard for him to be emotionally present. Um, and that does inform how I move through the world and what I look for, like, in partners or what have you. But on the outside of that, I've grown so much to my circle of men are filled with emotional, thoughtful, caring, dorky gentlemen. Mm. And... I just even getting to know you better 
I get to see I get to see Clement 18 years from now benefit from a loving present unconditional father and it's so I'm so excited for her because even when she's a, a bitch she's gonna test your limits you're gonna love her and she's and she knows that and that's awesome it is it feels I, like intellectually I'm really on the same page with you but Lately, when she turns into Veruca Salt from uh, she totally Willy is, man. <laughs> she totally it is. is uh, it's a little, it's a little disconcerting. <laughs> I want it, and I want it now. Now, I think I related more to Veruca Salt than anything. I would have loved to been the kid, right? Like the good one or whatever. Um, maybe I'm a blend of the two. I was a little brat. Well, I don't know if I was a brat. I just. I just thought I the this the world shined out of my butt. That hundred percent thought that, and I turned out okay. Uh, well, you know it's interesting because the world does shine out of your butt, um, but you have to realize that it shines out of everybody's butt. <gasps> you know what I mean? That's the difference. So there's a shine in your butt, a cannon in your chest, and a wall. Mm-hmm. You're special, but you're not special. Yes, totally. You know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, she, we've seen this Veruca Salt behavior, but the flip side is the next moment she's like sweeping the floor or she's helping me move things into the garage, which is a big thing I'm doing right now. And then, and then when she's helping me move it in, she needed help from me to carry this thing she wanted to carry. So I helped her carry down the steps and she said, thank you, dad, for helping me carry that. I don't think I could have done it on my own. Right? So... <laughs> You know, so it's like, Stop. you know, it's just, a, I just like, you can't just focus on when she's being bratty because that's just a part of. It's just a facet of yeah. the experience. Wow. How sweet is that? <laughs> what so, an angel. Right. In one moment. I mean, moment. she's the worst, but. <laughs> and then if you saw the next moment where <laughs> she like. She's smacking you in the face. Yeah, exactly. I'm um, laughing about it. I'm curious to see what kind of. I'm actually really glad, I mean, you know, you can't control this, but I, if I were to have my druthers, if I ever had children, I would love to have like a, a female first and then a boy. It, it just worked out really nice for my brother and I, because he even thought that he was the older brother. Um, I don't know if I can say, maybe I should. My brother is going to have a baby. Oh, We just wow. found out this Saturday or Sunday. Ho, ho, ho. It's well, Congratulations. Exciting. Yes, thank you. Uh, my mom and my sister were crying, and I and he was, like, videotaping us, and I'm like, get, take, I don't want to, it's like, stop, like, you know, I was afraid to be vulnerable in that moment. I was like, I don't understand why everyone's so excited. It's just a baby. Um, my mom's annoyed because they're not married, um, but, they, you know, my brother's super conscious about it. He know there wasn't a mistake. They wanted to do this. She was ready to have a baby, you know, at the risk of exposing too much of their personal life. Um but, and he has done a lot of work to be a good man too. Uh, but we were meeting, I was meeting the girlfriend for the first time and the girlfriend's mom. And he was basically talking about how he was the older brother. I'm like, hold on. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the eldest. <laughs> you forget. Like, oh God, it's so great to have an older brother, isn't it? Like, he's not my older brother. <laughs> <laughs> he acts like it. And sure, the time, like, it, so it is very, it is very sweet. No matter what I got a protector out of him. Um, my dad did do a good job instilling in him. And again, I think there's some nurture versus nature here. Um, he's responsibility to protect the children. Speaking of which, 
We're not going to cut away from this. What did you do? Did you paint yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I'm using a different paint. Oh, what paint is that? The blue and red and yellow. Oh, is that the finger paint? No. Yeah. Is it? Yeah? yeah. But I'm using it as a <laughs> <laughs> Can you ask her a question about how she's excited? Is she yeah. excited to have a big brother? Clementine, yeah. are you excited for your brother? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of sister does she think she's going to be? Uh, wait, she's walking away. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's back. Okay. I was just curious, what kind of uh, sister do you think you're going to be to your brother? A Clementine. A Clementine, exactly. <laughs> That's the perfect kind. It's okay, it washes off. Oh. That's perfect. Oh Bye. my God, stop. That's perfect. There's many times that Clem has uh, walked in on us having a podcast but it's been dad has to walk away so it doesn't make sense to keep it in because we're in the flow of a but this that was perfect a sweet little angel she's she'll be a good big sister i'm sure she's gonna hit the him in the face too but you know oh, totally uh that's but the only thing i'm she's, afraid of she's pumped uh i think we've you know i don't know if it's just again nature nurture or not we've definitely worked on it but getting her excited about a brother but she's super pumped about it um, we'll see what happens when the baby comes and, and the whole dynamic shifts. But, uh, but no, yeah. I mean, I could be like, I could be like, yeah, well, you know, when, uh, you know, when our family is together, you know, you and mommy and daddy and she goes and baby brother, I go, yes. And baby brother. So, oh. you know, so um, she's, she's got, she's got it. Like she's, Learn to anticipate. Because I know that there's some babies out there that need to be told what to expect. Like, now we're going to go to Aunt Carol's, and then we're going to have lunch, go into the pool a little bit, and then we're going to leave. And that they do better if they get, like, the st- like blow by blow. So it sounds like she's got the plan in her head. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we definitely do that to an extent. Um... Not saying that she needs that, but I've seen that kind of parenting work with some kids. Mm-hmm. Like I wish someone had done that to me, like set me up for expectations. I once went on a hike and my boyfriend at the time was like, oh, we're only going to go up to the first waterfall. We're not going to go to the second waterfall. We could if we want, but it doesn't seem like you want to. I was like, great. We'll have lunch at that first waterfall. We had lunch at that first waterfall. I was having the worst leg pain of my life. And I'm sure I've told you this story before, but he's like, okay, we're going to go up to the second waterfall. I was like, I fucking don't want to. <laughs> like, you didn't mentally prepare me for this nine-mile round-trip vertical hike. Jesus. And he goes, well, come on, come on. And you're only in Yosemite once. And we hated each other. We, like, loved each other, but we hated each other. And you know what? <laughs> I'm like, fine, I'll try, I'll try. And I start, like, walking up. And I'm in so much pain. And I'm at, my mind was not with me because I didn't think that that's what we were going to do. And so I turned around. I didn't say a word. I'm like, I'm fucking done. I don't want to do this. Like, I'm trying to walk back down the mountain. And then I just, like, stopped myself. And I went, when is the next time you're going to be on the mist trail in Yosemite? <laughs> and, and this close to the second waterfall at the top of Little Yosemite. Or, you know, Little Valley or whatever. And I turned back around. Didn't say anything. I walked up the rest of the two miles up to the top of the <laughs> waterfall. We got there really late. It was almost evening time. 
lightning started to strike and then we went back down. But I had to mentally go, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And it's not his failing, but by saying, we're only going to do this, that's all I prepared for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I exerted my energy accordingly. Yeah. Well, it's tricky with kids because there's there's two philosophies there. I mean, some kids, like you say, need that sort of, you know, heads up. And it's also an age thing and a, a developmental thing. I don't think there's any hard age, you know. But, like, when they're younger, you don't want to do that because what they can then do if they don't want to do something, they can scheme out of it. Mm. Right? So you kind of want to just let them be in the moment and say, oh, we're going to do this now. We're going to do this now. Mm. With Clementine, though, sometimes we do that, but, oh, you know, she's always been a bit developmentally advanced when it comes to comprehension and, and verbal skills. So we always, for better or for worse, have been like, hey, after dinner, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have you know, 10 minutes to play and then we're going to go to bed, you know. And sometimes it would bite us in the ass because then she would like take longer to eat dinner, you know, or after she played for 10 minutes go, I'm still hungry, you know, because she, she knows what's coming. But we still stand by it. We think I, I agree with you that like setting expectation is is probably best. Oh, I'm not saying it's the way to go. I'm just saying that's been my I've seen it work for some kids especially kids that like maybe throw a tantrum. We're like, why are we still at Chuck E. Cheese? You know, as opposed to we're going to be here for three hours. This is hour two. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's, but again, it's what the luck of the draw for the type of genomes your child gets, right? Because I do think our genes are programmed to have certain literal emotional triggers or physical triggers. I really mm-hmm. do think, oh, shit. No, everything's fine. So my kid is interrupting us. My cat. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. What's she doing? She's just, she's opened up a new window. How, um, is, how does your cat feel? Do you want to ask your cat how she, how she feels about being a new aunt or uncle? Pepper, are you excited that Nick's going to have a baby? No, you... no, I meant about you. Oh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I forgot that that was happening. I don't know what you're asking. Um, you're going to be an aunt. Yes, this an, is true. Are you an aunt or an aunt? I'm going to be Uncle Jesse. Oh, <laughs> nice. I've been that with a couple of friends or at least like encourage Uncle Jesse. Um, and then I got a really thoughtful question from like a 16-year-old who's like, well, what's your pronouns then? I like, got it. Mm. Uh, it's a joke from mm. a TV show. Mm. But it does feel better. Uncle Jesse feels better than Aunt Jess. Aunt Jess. <laughs> Aunt Jessica. Like, I don't like it. Uncle Jesse feels so much better. Well, you got to do you then. You're I so ju- John Stamos. You're so I mean, John Stamos. I always related to him. <laughs> Not really. But I, I, Uncle Jesse does feel good to me. Um, I don't know why. Just, But I, no, but don't call me Jesse. There's only like two people on the planet that can call me Jesse, and that's Sarah Matjoy Pepka and Amanda Troop. That's it. That's it. And how do that's, they get that privilege? Because they did it and it worked. It just worked. Jesse, like Amanda has like this sweet, perfect sing-song voice. You know, she can get away with anything. And Sarah is, Sarah, who is a member of Ripley. I don't think we've talked about her much on the podcast. Um, she's a fantastic improviser, Shakespearean actress, mime person, literally a mime. 
Um, and she, something about her and her sensibilities, there is a deeper kinship to our sensibilities than anyone else I've met or any other Ripley. I, and I love all the Ripleys individually for their own thing. But Sarah gets me on an, an emotional, like, psychotic level that no one else gets me at. Like, when she makes choices, I'm like, I 100% know why you're making that choice. I hate it, but I know why you're doing that. Um, and it's and it's it's awesome to to feel so clearly seen by, and vice versa by her because um, it's nice when someone else kind of walks through the world with your like. I think I've told you this before. My mom calls me an exposed nerve, and I don't know if Sarah is an exposed nerve in the same way, but she understands that kind of pain where it's like, "Fuck, you just didn't say hi to me, right? Why didn't mm. you? You must not like me anymore." Um. So yeah, she is, I'm grateful for her in my life as a good mirror, but as just also a good sounding board. Um, so in the last few minutes of our podcast today, and, and your last podcast for some time until we come back shiny and brightier and betterer, betterer in season two, we'll have guests in, in the interim. Don't be jealous, but we'll have season two when you come back. Big old launch party. It'll be really exciting. We'll have a cake with your face on it. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you, what, what do you think is going to happen in the next three months? What do you want for yourself in the next three months? What do you, what, what do you want to impart with us? What do you, if you had, if you had to say something now, but never could, what, what, I don't know what to ask you, Nick, but this is all about you. What do you want? What do I want? Or what do I I think is going to happen? I don't know. It could be broad. It could be macro, micro. I don't know. I mean, look. The next three months, God knows what's going to happen globally. I mean, we're on the brink of World War III. I mean, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Just don't Do you really think we are? It. It's not happening. Uh, I, th- I think it could easily get there very quickly. I don't know that it will. I hope that rational minds prevail. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it could happen. Sure. I mean, this is exactly how the first couple happened. Um, you had, I think, I'm no historian, but you had some event that seemed like, oh, well, maybe this will be some sort of contained thing, but it, but, but it was really involving multiple countries and then other people got involved and before uh, you know it, it went, it started spiraling, you know? Got it. Uh, okay. Um, I did not know that. Interesting. So, so yeah, so we, you know, very easily this, this whole thing could escalate and, you know, we'll just shelter in place again. Let's go, go round two quarantine. <gasps> Um, we're practiced. I hope that doesn't happen. No. Uh, I think one of the things about being in America is that you're pretty fortunate to be, you know, we're not like, yeah, we're no, we don't, our borders aren't, are, aren't very, uh, um, are are pretty safe. We're not, we're not worried about Canada or Mexico suddenly invading us. Right. Um, unless we keep on treating fucking Mexico like shit, but anyway. I'm just they, saying they 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 don't really have a, an army to do much with, but we just treat them like shit. But yeah, we, as somebody who grew up on the border, I mean, yes, you know, America treats a lot of countries like like shit. But I do think, generally speaking, the attitude, the relations between Mexico and and the U.S. are pretty good. Right now, with ICE and everything. Uh, yeah. Even then, I mean, I don't have. I don't I'm not. I will. I think let's not be so sure about that. That's all. Mm, really? Look. I mean, well, they, 
a lot of them still want, a lot of the people of Mexico still want to be in America. Certainly, a lot of people will want, still want to be in America. Um, but a lot of the sort of caravans that are coming up is coming from Central America. Correct, right. You know, and, mo you know, I think most people in Mexico want to have a solid relationship with, with the U.S. And oh, I'm sure that's true. I just feel, okay, yeah, I'm jumping. In terms sure. of ICE and deportation and all that stuff, I mean, that's a, that's a bigger thing that I don't think is in terms of nation-states relationship. Uh, sure, sure. But, it's, I mean, I grew up in a place where, you know, suddenly somebody could yell, la migra, la migra, and everybody would go running. So, wow. you know, immigration... As a joke or real? Well, it's real, but you could do it as a joke. But no, I, it's a I real, see. It's a real thing. Um, so, you know, it's not like... I know ICE, a whole nother, a whole nother conversation and the shady tactics and yada yada and, and all that. That's another thing. But in terms of like, um, you know, deportation and all that, that's not a new thing. Um, right. You know, that's, you know, but again, I grew up on the border. It's just slightly different. But it's also, it's like, it's when you, you know, people who have, have grown up on the border or do live on the border, they have a completely different relationship to the border crisis than everyone else does right everyone else has politicized it you know I, obviously right now the caravans coming from central america uh you know it's a large refugee problem due to problems in those central american countries that's a totally separate issue i think from u.s mexico relations great and i'm politicized it by conflating the two so yeah it's fine it's fine. It's fine. It's saying. fine. Well, but you know, most of them, most of America doesn't understand. I think the what it, it's just a totally different sort of relationship. You're being fed what to think based, you know, on the media, on politicians, and what is the truth of it. Um, but growing up on the on the border, you know, it's not so much this way anymore. But it wasn't like it was two different countries. Right. Right. You know, but most people don't experience that because they don't, they haven't, they haven't lived that way. So they don't, they don't know it. So I, I get, I can get why uh, people might view it differently. If you want your children to walk out with one positive experience, one positive uh, lesson after having been fathered by you, what would it be? After I've been fought, like if there's one thing that I could impart on my... If those kids go, you know, my dad was a piece of shit, but you know one thing he did right was this. Uh, he taught me what the unconditional love was. Yeah. Um, I think, and, and what actual love actually is. That it's a verb. Uh, yeah, that it can be a verb. Yeah, I mean, I like that. I mean, I like that. I think I look at it as. What do I look at it as? I guess it is a yeah verb. Never really. That that's, that definitely resonates with me. But I think it's more than that. But yes. Well, it's it not. Is, it's not a verb that has one definable action over and over again. It's. It's it, maybe it's even better explained as like a muscle where love teaches you how to react to each individual moment with. A sense of care for the other person and vice and for yourself right and for all things 
and for all things. Namaste. Namaste. Well, just to, you know, get the core value that can help ground everything else you do in your life. Again, it's not a, it's not the what, it's the how. And if and if you can connect to the true concept of what love is, and not what, not the everyday concept of what love is, um, yeah, I'll go there. I think I, I I attribute the greatest gift my parents ever gave me was unconditional love. So, I think yeah, I think that's what I would say. If I can do that, then. At least they'll have that, and then they can do whatever the fuck else they want. Well, I know you're going to do it because, like I said, I my explaining all my trauma was a long way to say I'm surrounded by good. I'm, I've made it. I've I've found my way towards awesome men and women. But you are super high on that list of like, God damn it, there are the good guys out there, and I'm so excited for you to have a baby. I'm gonna cry, and um. It's just ha- I'm excited for you. I don't. I didn't even cry when my brother told me he was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so happy for you, and I and I wish you guys the best. And I'll leave you alone as best as possible. Um, I won't actively look for your replacement, but if it happens, it happens. <laughs> look, I know the risk I'm taking. Right, I understand. Right. But like unconditional love. You have to let it go. It's hard. <laughs> Maybe I'm the one who's being not vulnerable by joking of getting rid of you, but in reality, I'm afraid of losing you. Um, Nick, I well, in your absence, we're going to talk to some very fun people. It'll be special episodes as opposed to official episodes. Uh, we're going to talk about all sorts of things. And if people want to ask Nick any questions... I'll I'll text them to you, and I can't wait to know the name of your baby when you guys finally figure it out. It's exciting. Yeah, me too. I know. Uh, <laughs> yes, by all means. And who knows what's going to happen over the next whatever. If you need um, to break away, uh, we'll do it. We'll do a 30-minute. Yeah, maybe there's a pop-in. Maybe it'll pop in on you. Pop. Um, well, but definitely, I'm not going to be in a black hole, so... <laughs> I know. I'm just, <laughs> I know. Um, I'm just so excited for you. And I can't wait to see that cute baby because Clem's just gorgeous. So we're going to have another handsome one. What if this one, one isn't? What if it happens? What if it's like we got the opposite? Would you want really me to tell you? Baby. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you know. It's not like, it's not like I wouldn't. It's like I wouldn't know. You would. I don't think this is like. So I worked at a, I worked in acting school and every parent would call and go, well, you know, my, kids are great, but my kid. My kid is amazing. So I don't. I think you're just so doped up on dopamine and love that you don't know that they're fugly, and sometimes will... they're fugly, and then they get better. Sometimes that happens. Mm-hmm. I've seen the ultrasound pictures. Okay, he's got a pretty good shape to his face. Okay, okay. so we'll see. I, I mean, he's gonna get the masuach charm. <laughs> All right, Nick, I miss you till we see you again. Oh, I miss you already. I know, me too. Just I'm glad like, we got uh, to do one more, though. Just like uh, I used to sing this song when my mom would leave when I was a young young mama's boy. Okay, we're going to end Did on you, this. Do you know this song? I don't know. I miss you like crazy. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Who sang that song? Uh, it's an old 80s sort of like R&B pop. 
I miss you like crazy, no matter what I say or do, there's just no getting over you. Oh, I said, baby. I miss you, I miss you. No, you know this one? I don't know, but it's so sweet. So you would sing this to your mom while she was like walking out the door or something? Natalie Cole. Yeah. Wow. Maybe I know awesome. it, but I just don't know it. You've probably heard it. It's, I mean... I don't Stephanie. know why my mom did this, but she, and I hated her for it, but she would go, I'm leaving on a jet plane. And I was like, <laughs> Don't know then, when I'll be back again? Yeah, and then the guy, and that guy dies on a plane, so it was really bittersweet. I don't know. She just loved that song. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, Nick, I'll miss you. I miss you like crazy. <laughs> yeah. When, but when I, I want to hear your rendition of it. Not uh, knowing it. No. Oh, no, no, no. I want you to rehearse it. I want you I to will. then record it, put your own spin on it, maybe lay a, a, a you know, so, some beats underneath it. So I will do that for you. I, I promise you this. But remind you, just reminded me, and we'll, uh, you know, I keep on saying we're going to end, but it doesn't matter. Um, my dad would write songs. He ended up like, my, his grandmother, his mother wrote songs, and then he was, he would like dabble on the piano, and he wrote a song about me. Telling him not to go because he would go to work at the time. You know, he worked in Anaheim. We lived in the valley. And they ended up working at home, which was awesome because he was there. But, like, I guess the, the all I remember is, Daddy, please don't go. No. I know. It's heartbreaking. Cute. Yeah, it was actually heartbreaking. But it was – I just remember it being, a, like, an amazing – I don't even think I have the, the tune perfectly, but it was sweet. Anyway, Nick, please don't go. No, you got to go. I have to. I know. But I'm not gone. You know where I'm at always? In my heart. Right here in your heart. My heart. I'm so glad. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye, Nick Nick. Bye, Jesse. Oh. That does it for this week, Nichols. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of You Don't Know Nick. There are many different ways you can support our podcast. One of them is going to youdon'tknownick.com and finding out all the different places you can listen to our show. You can also follow us on Good Pods, which is basically Instagram for podcasts. Not only can you follow your favorite shows, you can listen to them right there in the app. If you're interested in finding some You Don't Know Nick merch or Jessica Lynn Verde merch, go to subtlegeek.spreadshirt.com. And if you're not already, consider becoming a Patreon member. You can get exclusive swag and early access releases to episodes if we're able to get them to you in a timely manner. Go to patreon.com slash you don't know Nick. And if you haven't already, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Nichols.